Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of Write That Down. I'm your host, Justin Nipper. I'm editor at FightGameMedia.com, staff writer at WrestlingObserver.com, F4WOnline.com, and I'll be joined shortly by my co-host, Japan's leading pro wrestling author, historian, broadcast journalist, the one and only Mr. Fumi Saito. So, you've made it to part four. Part four of our profile series on Antonio Noki has arrived. Uh, today's show picks up where... We left off last time. During the mid-1970s, 1974, 1975, 1976, we're going to kind of start around 1974 yet again, go even deeper into Inoki's career, and we're going to finish today's episode around 1985 during his career. Um, On this episode, we went over the nature of um, the New Japan and WWF relationship, the business relationship that they had uh, between Antonio Inoki and Vince McMahon Sr., and we're going to talk about how Giant Baba and Bruno San Martino and superstar Billy Graham all fit into that picture at the time. Um, we also did a little deathmatch trivia involving uh, Inoki and Umanosuke Ueda before we dived deep into Inoki's pretty famous, pretty well-known rivalry with uh, Bob Backlund for the WWF World Heavyweight title, which he won. He did win it in Tokushima, 1979. This happened. We talk about that too. We talk about the very dense and somewhat convoluted explanation of Inoki winning the title and then vacating the title, even though it was never recognized in North America. We'll get into that. We also cover, not cover, but we really talk about how important the Japanese print media was during that time too and how important it was in spinning the angle to the Japanese fan base because there were two different sets of uh, realities, you could say, in Japan for the Japanese fan base and for uh, in the States, for what was going on in the States and what the fans were told and, and what the fans weren't told. Before the end of today's episode, we also talked about Inoki's rivalry with Stan Hansen and we also talked quite a bit about his storied history with Mr. Hulk Hogan. We talked about the infamous 1983 IWGP Finals match between Inoki and Hogan uh, and the controversial finish. I also asked, and it's it's worth thinking about, did Hulkamania really start in Tokyo or did it start in New York? Listen to the episode and then decide for yourself. Okay, so next week, tune in for part five. It's going to be our final episode. We're going to talk about a lot of Inoki's late career in the late 80s into the 90s, uh, what he did to wrestling in the late 90s, early 2000s, what he did outside of pro wrestling at that time too. It's going to be another action-packed, very interesting episode. That's for next week. Also, one announcement. If you have questions for me or for Fumi, it could be about anything. It could be about a topic that we've talked about recently or in the past or anything. Apropos nothing, email me. Justin Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R, at gmail.com, okay? Fumi and I are going to do a bonus question and answer episode for the Fight Game Media Patreon. So if you have something you'd like to ask Fumi, 
send me an email. We'll get it set up, and we're going to do a special question and answer only show exclusively for the Fight Game Media Network Patreon. You can only listen to that if you are a patron. So, and if you already are a patron, thanks for being a patron, and you will have some bonus material coming your way very soon. So, enough of me babbling. Let's get into some Antonio Inoki talk. Hello from Burbank. Hello from Tokyo. Okay, part four, Antonio Inoki legacy today. We left off talking about WWE, WWF, excuse me, late 70s at the time. Antonio Inoki was involved. Vince McMahon Sr. was involved. Bob Backlund and Antonio Inoki had a, a series of matches, and it led to some pretty big news in the late 70s, yeah, title early 80s. Yeah. But let's kind of recap what we talked about last week around 1974 is what we really focused on in the mid-70s. Okay. Vince McMahon came senior. Vince, Vince McMahon senior came to Japan and announced the uh, partnership, new partnership with New Japan Pro Wrestling, of course, uh, at the time. And uh, yeah, uh, so became the business partner. So Inoki finally have this strong connection with major company in America. Up until then, Inoki had a had. You know, Carl Gotch, you know, as a book, you know, not a match booker, but the booker, booking talent. In, you know, they were bringing Carl Gotch's connection, friends, wrestlers from like from places in Florida or Carl Gotch's you know, friends or the wrestlers from Europe or some wrestlers from Montreal. Tiger Jeet Singh, of course, and Rujo's people from Montreal. And a little bit of from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Billy Robinson. And yeah, Jack, Jack Rougeau. Or, or you had Raymond Rougeau before he was famous as a, as a you know, WWE tag team. And uh, yeah, those people were here. And uh, yeah, and Maguire Twins, of course, was an attraction. And and Japanese against Japanese, you know, Japanese superstar against Japanese superstar was a strong card for New Japan. Whereas... Jan Baba always had all the superstars from America, and we talked about that last time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the 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 first WWF champ worldwide wrestling federation champion who came to New Japan was not Bob Backlund. Actually, it was a uh, superstar Billy Graham. Yeah, it was 1978, February of 1978 that the it was at the Nippon Budokan Big Show. New Japan, the double main event. Uh, the it was Antonio Inoki against Umanosuke Ueda, the five-inch nail death match thing. If you remember, uh, there was a, you know like a plywood with this five-inch nail sticking out, and all around the ringside area that the, if you fell from the ring, you die kind of thing. And, like a decade later, yes, people like Mr. Danger, you know, Mr. Mitsuhiro Matsunaga against Leatherface, they actually went down to the, you know, this five-inch nail mat, and uh, it was a deathmatch thing. But the very first, it's almost like a useless trivia, but the five-inch nail, the the the, the dangerous-looking deathmatch were introduced by Umanosuke Ueda, 
Uh, it was Inoki against him at the Budokan. And double feature was superstar Billy Graham as a champion and challenger was Sakaguchi. And it was more like introducing uh, WWF champion into New Japan ring. And it was amazing because uh, three, three years prior to that, 1975, Bruno San Martino was brought in uh, by Jan Barber. And Jan Barber and Bruno San Martino had a very first WWF title match in Japan. And that was, of course, you know, double count out. But the affiliate, you know, the, the business partnership was announced. And like myself as a kid, fan, was excited, you know, because Jan Bob always had this strong connection with NWA, National Wrestling Alliance, and AWA. People like Vern Garnier, Nick Bakwenko, all these, you know, AWA stars would come in. And Inoki didn't have, you know, strong affiliate with American major companies. So it was really um, exciting that the one channel, like I said, Channel 10 TV Asahi, Inoki's New Japan, Channel 4, NTV, Nippon TV, All Japan Pro Wrestling, Giant Bowers Company. It's like you have two network doing two different wrestling, you know, major company and broadcasted on primetime every week. So we had two different kind and two different wrestling. And Bob always had, you know, all kinds of American superstar you really read on, on magazines. And Inoki didn't. But this time, yes, the partnership became strong and all the WWF superstars started coming in. That was an exciting time. And for the record, um, in Japan, it was announced that the name of the company was changed from WWF to just WWF. Uh, it was March of 1979, uh, as a record, yeah. What and, I found uh, pretty, uh, I guess you could say now it's unprecedented, but the time you, you mentioned Bruno San Martino having a match with Giant Baba, despite the deal that you talked about earlier that Inoki had with WWF. Right. Uh, uh, what, what was interesting is, though, that the spring of 1974, Vince McMahon Sr., Came to Japan and shook hands with Anthony Noki in the ring and made uh, that uh, made an announcement that uh, they're becoming a partner. And that very same month, Giant Baba himself uh, got on the plane and went to New York and worked Madison Square Garden show just to find out what the deal was. Hmm. Yeah, then that uh, 1974 spring, Giant Baba made very very rare appearance, first time in 10 years. 1974, Baba had a single match against Gorilla Monsoon. Uh, at Madison Square Garden. It was very political because John Baba had to find out, you know, because McMahon family and Baba were friends then. So, but the deal was made that uh, New York superstar, you know, started coming in. And, uh, but, but still, Baba himself had to fly himself over to New York, Madison Square Garden to find out what the deal was. Hmm. But the deal was already made, I think. The thing is, though, that the, TVSI in New Japan paid a certain amount of money to become partner with WWF at the time. Whereas Giant Baba, with all the American NWA promoter affiliates, they never really paid money with you know you know you know to book talent. It was more of a more Giant Baba did the real old-fashioned you know sh you know handshake deal that. Um, 
promise, you know, Baba promised certain amount of money to book American talent and come to Japan and make money. And, you know, the money, the amount he promised was paid always. Then American wrestler will go home very happily ever after, something like that. But uh, it was against Baba's idea to pay American company an annual amount to be the partner. You know, it was like, uh, but the business is business. I guess that uh, basically Inoki uh, came in and got the deal with Vince McMahon Sr. and became partners. He needed that at the time. Are you following me? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, so Baba wanted an equal business relationship with everyone else, whereas Inoki was just going a different route. Exclusively, yeah. Because mm. yeah, WWE, uh, Vince McMahon Sr.'s WWE was a place where they rotate all the superstars, 90-day turnaround. If you remember, one challenger come in to challenge your WWF champion, and you challenge at Madison Square Garden, and you know probably first challenge, you know first title match, they they go over. The challenger would go over on on count out or something. Then second match, that uh, no contest, and third match, the climax. So usually three months deal was at the Madison Square Garden. That's your premier card. Then you go on the road like road show to go to Boston or Philadelphia or Washington DC or exact almost like exact same card like I'm I'm, I'm talking about Billy, you know, Billy Graham against Mill Mill Maskers or uh Billy uh Billy Graham against Dusty Rose, Billy Graham against Bob Backland, Bob Backland wins the title and other Billy Graham challenge him again and they go on the road and have like a 50 other times. That was like a road show. But uh, Madison Square Garden and WWFD was that new challenger coming every 90 days or so. So you have all the new challenger. Remember as a kid, like every 90 days period that the new challenger coming and challenge Bob background. And after that program, they would all fly to Japan and work New Japan. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That was the pattern. That was the cycle. Yeah. So that it worked so perfectly and that the deal was made. And it was 1978. Actually, was that a January of 1978? Bob Backlund finally beat Superstar Billy Graham to become a champion. And it was the time young Tatsumi Fujinami introduced a new division, you know, junior heavyweight title. It wasn't so much in America, but it was a really big deal in, in, in Japan that uh, young Fujinami, 24 years at the time, uh, he came back to Japan as a superstar. He became, you know, WWWF junior heavyweight champion, world champion, and uh, made debut, in, you know, new debut in Japan and became number two right underneath Antonio Inoki. It was a big deal. And... Uh, it was like uh, winning a championship at Madison Square Garden with, you know, with Four Nelson Dragon Suplex, and it was like a, the Star Wars born type of thing. And only four months after Bob Backlund beat Billy Graham to become the new WWWF champion, Bob Backlund came to Japan in this June of 1978 and had 
WWF title and NWF you know, championship and NWF title double title match was held at the Budokan. It was a first meeting. There were three title match that year, 1978. Oh, I remember this clearly because the first title match I went there live, you know. Oh, and yeah, because it was NWF and WWF double title match, right? Mm-hmm. And I went, <laughs> I went over there with more innocent, <clears throat> you know, wrestling fan friend and. Uh, uh, my friends were hoping that the Inoki will get two titles, right? Mm-hmm. But I was more of a reading, magazine reading oriented fan or, you know, by then that the, I knew title wasn't going to change hands. You know? How old were you by this time? <clears throat> I was you in college? Tenth, oh, you're high oh, tenth school? Grade. Yeah, yeah, 10th grade. So you knew the deal. Yeah, but 10th grade, 16 year old, but I've been reading, well, I read all the wrestling magazines, you know by then and you know back to back and twice and you know pretty much i was the doctor professional pro wrestler in school you know but you always had more innocent wrestling fan friends right because they believe mm-hmm. that the title will change hands in japan and well when right when you hear nwf and wwf you know, double title match you had to sense that no title wasn't going to change hands uh, sure enough it was a uh, first meeting of anton inoki in new champion Bob Backlund and Bob Backlund was a very ideal wrestler for Japanese market because he is clean cut athlete and really wrestles and it's more like a Coral Gatch, Billy Robinson type image you know what I'm saying yeah I was going to ask what was the <clears throat> fan reaction or reception to Backlund compared to the other foreigners at the time oh like uh, not like Tiger Jeet Singh you know like a complete heel it was like Bob Backlund like he carried himself as champion and come in all clean cut and short trunks wrestling boots no frills he just wrestles right sportsman was, oh yeah so he was like a I mean, perfect for Japanese market at the time see Inoki against 1969 and Dory Funk, Jack Briscoe, or just some, something, something like 1975, Antonio against Billy Robinson. It was like a legendary. People want to see like a really good, clean wrestling match. And the new champion, new star, who just became WWF champion in America, and he was what, the 28, 29 years old at the time. Bob Ackland was a perfect, perfect champion to have an t- important title match against Antonio Inoki at his prime. And the first meeting was two out of three, four match, right? Inoki technically beat Bob Backlund. It's, it was like a two out of three, four match. And the first four came in like in 40-minute mark. And Inoki um, uh, had a count out for first four. And second four, they went to all the way to 60-minute time limit uh, it was a it wasn't a draw but two out of three four match Inoki won the first four but the time expired so technically one zero right mm-hmm. but the title wouldn't change hands therefore Inoki um, defended his NWF title but could not win WWF title well done does that make sense Classic booking in that time. You never really. Yeah, I think so. I think the... so. It was like a, yeah, like a, almost very creative. In you know, Inoki beat Bob, new champion Bob Backlund, but couldn't win the title. Yeah. Oh well. But uh, well paced, sixty minute. You know, so win win situation that the Bob Backlund worthy champion that uh, Inoki couldn't beat him, but the 
title wasn't, I mean, title, both title was at stake, but they sh shook hands and left. And second match took place only uh, like uh, one, uh, one or two months later. It was in July uh, that uh, only this time WWF title on, on, you know, at stake. And another two out of three, four match, they did 60-minute Broadway again. One, this time, one for each. Two out of, so, so, so they progressed a little bit. Inoki took first fall with Octopus, and Bob Backlund took second fall with his atom famous atomic drop, then went into 60-minute time, you know, time draw. So second match in July of 78, another draw, but Inoki couldn't win the title. And there was a third meeting, third meeting the same year, 1978, December. This time was Inoki beating on, only WWF title uh, at stake. And Inoki again beat Bob Backlund with counter finish, not the pinfall or submission in the ring, but the Inoki, you know, they had a like double knockdown, you know, over the top of thing but you know came back to ring just to beat the 20 count of 20 in japan right and uh you know he beat bob back on his count out thing but still title don't change hand via count out therefore you know he beat him but bob Backlund uh held the title again so those were the 1978 three match program june june july and december but uh they, you couldn't do that forever right right yeah, so one year later, fourth meeting, November of 1979, it had to be sure thing that uh, this time, you know, he was, you know, in the interview saying that if he couldn't win the title this time, he's not going to challenge back on again. So, so it was like a sure thing that the people felt that, you know, he's winning WWF title for sure this time, right? Mm -hmm. And sure enough, November 30th in, in Tokushima, that uh, Inoki beat Bob Backland to become very first Japanese wrestler to be WWF champion. For the record, November 30th of 1979, Inoki beat him uh, to become uh, WWF champion. And he wore that, that the purple virgin leather of Bob Backland model belt. And first title this is where it gets tricky and very interesting and the, the booking was so creative that you have to follow me and if you have any questions you ask me okay sure yeah it's like so much details that that uh, they did it so well that <laughs> um just like i'm not gonna forget this one because it's so creative november 30th in 1979 Tokushima, Inoki beat Bob Ackland to become the very first Japanese wrestler to win a New York version of this WWF title, right? And one week later, no, uh, December 6th, at the old Sumo Palace in, at the Kuramae, Inoki does have this first title defense, okay? And it was, uh, to make a long story short, it was no contest, uh, you know, decision that... Uh, the Tiger Jeet Singh did, you know, did, came in and uh, destroyed the title match, right? Mm -hmm. and the Tiger Jeet Singh be, started beating up Inoki, and in, in the middle of chaos, somewhat, somehow, that uh, Bob Backlund pins, damaged Inoki one, two, three, right? But that uh, minutes later, 
the decision was reversed. Referee said there was no contest, no contest. Therefore, uh, Inoki, you know, that holds his WWF title. Whereas Bob Atkins said, no, I beat Inoki clean. So uh, I get the title back. Controversy finish. Are you following me? There was it was uh, disputed. It wasn't a clean finish. There was still uh, right, right. Up in the I guess really the involvement, and uh, Inoki got beaten up, and uh, somewhat somehow Bob back in the middle of it. Bob back and pins Antonio Inoki and get the belt for a few seconds. But the referee reversed the decision as no contest, right? And uh, Inoki keep the title because of this no contest decision, and the champion will keep the title kind of thing but Inoki wasn't uh storylines okay Inoki wasn't happy with this no contest decision therefore he vacates the title so he's mm. like he never lost the title he vacates WWF title I don't want to hold the championship like this great storyline right and only 11 days later 11 days later this is where it gets really really tricky in Japan WWF title was vacant because Inoki, without losing it in, in in the ring, Inoki returned the title to WWF. I don't want to hold the championship like this, right? And it was announced in Japan that uh, Inoki back match uh, title up for grab will be held at the Madison Square Garden December seventeenth. Eleven days later, uh, after, after this small, you know. Kuramai Small Palace show. So New Japan crew and TV Asahi crew get on the plane. And then it was all planned that uh, they were going to you know, do the big taping at the Madison Square Garden. Not just in Noki, but Fujinami will be defending his title, you know, WWF Junior Heavyweight title against Johnny Rivera. Uh, at Madison Square Garden. Also, Seiji Sakaguchi and Ricky Choshu as a NWA North American Tag Team title will be uh, defended against uh, Bad News Allen and the guy Jojo Andrews, if you remember well. well. But uh, it was uh, at, at the building, it was announced Japanese Tag Team Championship. No, it was North American Tag Team Champion in, in Japan. But the well, those are the little details that the play-by-play announcer at the time was Vince McMahon, of all people, okay? And uh, he pronounced Ricky Choshu as Ricky Koshu, Ricky Koshu, right? <laughs> <clears throat> Anyhow, Seiji Sakaguchi and Ricky Choshu, North American Tag Team Champions at the time, who bring the belt to America in, in, in uh, defending you know, their title against Bad News Allen and Jojo Andrews, two African guys. And that was one title match. And like I said, Fujinami against uh, Johnny Re- Johnny Rivera, the WWF Junior Heavyweight title. And in Japan, Inoki and Bob Bakken was going to have a, that the decision-making last match, that uh, title up for grab for WWF Championship. And when Jap- all the Japanese press, you know, when all the Japanese press got there, Vince McMahon Sr. Uh, had a small, uh, short little press conference just for Japanese press. This is, gets really, really creative. Mr. Inoki will be defending his WWF martial arts heavyweight title against Great Hassan. That is Iron Sheik's uh, another name. Okay. Therefore, uh, there will not be Inoki Bakran title match tonight. Mr. Inoki will be defending his WWF martial arts title against 
great Hassan. That's it. So, oh, okay. Then uh, instead, Bob Backen will be uh, having a single match against Bob, Bobby Duncan. So Japanese press and photographers in the building at Madison Square Garden was led to believe that, right, title is still up for grab. Title is vacant, and title is still up for grab. And the title match tonight, that night, will be Bob Backlund against uh, Cowboy Bob Duncan instead of instead of Inoki against Backlund. Okay, title is still up for grab. And at the building, Bob Backlund and Bobby Duncan main event was announced by Howard Finkel, Texas Deathmatch, Texas Deathmatch. Nothing was announced about this, you know, title up for grab because people in New York City in 1979 did not know the title, you know, changed hand in Japan. Well, news traveled last slower then, right? Mm. You would never find out. I mean, it was just two different words. Yeah, or, yeah, or maybe fanzine or uh, more people with a little information or the rest, you know, like a tight wrestling fan with pen pals, you know, writing each other things. I mean, that was like way decades before the internet, okay? Mm. <laughs> yeah. But anyhow, that uh, Bob Backlund and Bobby Duncan match happened. As it, at the building, it was announced by Howard Finkel, Texas Death Match, right? And sure enough, Bob Backlund came in without the championship belt because it was a Texas Death Match, right? Mm-hmm. But it was announced in Japan. It was the title was still vacant, and this is a title up for grab. Bob Backlund against Bobby Duncan, and Texas Death Match took place, and Bob Backlund beat Bobby Duncan and winner. And in Japan. Uh, Bob Backer regained the title. And Anto Inoki against great Hassan Ayan Sheik took place. Inoki defended uh, his WWF martial arts title and was the end of the story. And <laughs> so Inoki and crew, TV, Asahi crew, Sakaguchi, Riki Choshu, Fujinami all went to uh, Madison Square Garden. They taped their match. And it was televised in Japan the following week. And Bob Barker and Bobby Duncan match. Yeah, Bob Barker became WWF champion again. And Anthony Inoki defended his WWF martial arts title against great Hassan. And uh, Ayan Sheik, yeah, he's still WWF martial arts champion. And so on, Fujinami defended his WWF junior heavyweight title. And Sakaguchi and Rikichoshu uh, successfully defended their uh, North American tag team championship. That was uh, like a 90 minute, you know, primetime special. Uh, and this whole issue of Inoki uh, not happy with the decision and, and um, relinquished the title and the title became vacant and the t- title up for grab thing was all forgotten. That is a lot Which of information. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, but it I was... I think so. Yeah? Yeah. It's, uh, okay. So I think the one thing I want to just... Correct me if I'm interpreting it wrong, but so WWF told the Japanese press one thing about the Texas death match that it was for. No, the no, tit- it was announced in America. Okay. It was announced in America. Yeah. That it was a Texas. Death, yeah. Cause at the Madison square garden, this title being vacant. And and uh, this match is up for you know, championship up for grab thing was never announced in America. 
It was simply a Texas Death Match main event at the Madison Square Garden, Bob Backlund against Bobby Duncan. For Japanese press, it was still announced the title up for grab, mm. but it was not it, not Inoki Bob Backlund match. Instead, it was Bob Backlund against Bobby Duncan match for the title that Inoki. No, had no, vacated. no. For the Inoki title change never happened in America. Therefore, that the uh, title being vacant thing never have occurred in America. Right. It was just explained to Japanese fans, therefore, Japanese audience. Are you following me? Very interesting. It would never happen again because of how uh, information, information travels. Information travels now, right? Because split second. The, yeah, There's November no 30th, and November 30th in Tokushima on television match, Inoki clearly beat Bob Backlund to become very first Japanese WWF champion. And Six days later at the Kuramae Old Sumo Palace, Inoki's very first title defense, <clears throat> champion Inoki against challenger, former champion Bob Backer, that happened. And they had a, this controversy, no contest finish that <clears throat> Tiger Jit, Jit Singh ran in and be, started beating up on Inoki and then somewhat somehow Bob Backer pins Inoki and you know he holds the belt for a few seconds referee reversed the decision and it's a no contest therefore inoki defends his title and inoki not happy about this ending and i don't want to be champion like this he relinquished the title therefore the title become vacant that's information and storyline in japan and in Japan, it was announced the following 11 days later at the Madison Square Garden, like a world, like a global scale title match story that the title up for grab again, Bob Backlund against Inoki will be happening at the Madison Square Garden. We all believed it. Then at the December 17th, 11 days later at the Madison Square Garden, when all the photographers in here announced, announced that um, Mr. Inoki will be defending his martial arts title against Great Hassan Ayan Sheik tonight. Therefore, there will be no Inoki against Bob Backlund match tonight here at the building. And sure enough, Bob Backlund, actually, Bob Backlund, Bobby Duncan match was Texas Test match because it was the to be continued thing from the previous month. Bobby Duncan was challenging Bob Backlund and just, you know, there was some controversy, you know, double no, no contest, double juice kind of match. And to make the conclusion of Bob Backlund, Bobby Duncan match, it was Texas death match. That was like that in New York. Okay. And title never changed hand in America and people did not know about it. And, and no title was ever vacant, nothing. It was Texas, Texas death match uh, main event announced by Howard Finkel, okay? And so for New York people's eyes, Bob Acker never lost the title and was a champion still then. And for Japanese audience, yeah, the title was up for grab. And instead of having Inoki Bob Acker the, the final match, it was announced at the building, Bob Acker will be Bobby Duncan, will be doing a match, title up for grab. That was storyline for Japanese press. Now you're following me. It's pretty... I mean, I just can't imagine something like that happening today just because of how the environment, what it's turned into. It's just, oh, God. It's, no, not today's. 
I'm it's it's, 1979. You're talking about 40 years ago, you know. <laughs> I yeah. mean, most people, the more people don't know Inoki rather than know Inoki over here, ultimately. So um, it's just amazing how you can sort of oh that was like a wash the history the mo most creative you know title lineage story though because Inoki did not exactly lose championship but was able to let go of the title without losing face and the fans bought it I, well I guess so and then and also, I think who is guilty, <laughs> I think Japanese wrestling press and sports paper and wrestling magazines are just as guilty. Does that make sense? Did they get a little creative with what was going on? It was, was there a... Uh, well, uh, 1979, Gang Magazine and the Baseball Magazine, Pro Wrestling Magazine were still monthly. Okay. Not... Pro, we, <clears throat> Shoe Pro, Weekly Pro Wrestling or Baseball Magazine, Sha, and Weekly at uh, the Gang Magazine won't, wouldn't become weekly until summer of 1983. Mm -hmm. All these big, huge, you know, detailed storyline happened in within the month. So next month issue, like if it was a monthly magazine, it was all already done by the time was, magazine come out. It was already old. I guess. And January comes in the new season. Yeah. But for the record, um, Inoki bought back on title match happened three more, you know, three more times. Um, April of 1980 in Miami, Florida, you know, NWA territory, but the Bob Ackland still, you know, frequent travel that the NWA Florida territory, but uh, Bob Backlund, you know, occasionally came in and defended his WWF title. In April of 1980, there was Inoki against Bob Backlund title match in Miami, Florida. And back summer, that uh, August of 1980, in Shinagawa, Tokyo, there was another Inoki against Bob Backlund title match. Then, that 81, um, I believe it was a May of 1981 at the Me Mexico El Trail. There was Inoki against Bob Backlund match in Mexico. There was just like almost like a guest appearance. So three more Inoki Bob Backlund title match happened, but title never changed hand after that. And Bob Backlund will be holding WWF title until Iron Sheik Hulk Hogan kind of you know program right all the way to end of what 83. And Inoki never challenged um, Bob Backlund after that in New Japan rings. Bob Backlund still had a lot of tours with New Japan in the meantime, all the way to like 84. And it was always Bob Backlund against Dusty Rose, Bob Backlund against young Hulk Hogan, Bob Backlund against heel Stan Hansen, Bob Backlund against Fujinami as a heavyweight. So Bob Backlund still came back to Japan and defended his WWF title, but the program with Inoki was pretty much dropped after that. Mm. Does that make sense? So this, you could say, is one of, well, definitely one of Bob Backlund's career highlights. This was, I mean, it's, he's one of those, he's interpreted oh, a certain yeah, well, way over here. Uh, 
after, probably because yeah, probably because of Hulk Hogan and national WWF Vince McMahon's national expansion, that uh, Bob Backlund's legacy has been kind of overlooked. See, yeah. he was the main guy at the Madison Square Garden for what the six-year period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Just about yeah, right before was, Hogan was 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 Backlund your your champion, uh, uh, your childhood champion. No, Hogan was. That was my dad. My dad oh, was. Oh, uh, okay. Your dad. Okay. When he was in high school, he would he would tell me about okay. See, New York WWF in the East Coast. Yeah, always had Babyface champion. You know, long t- twice long reign with Bruno San Martino, of course. Then there was Pedro Morales era, and Billy Graham was the only heel champion had. You know, who was a champion for any length of time, but uh, they always had transitional. Uh, heel champion like Ivan Koloff or Stan Stasiak or somebody like that to switch to another babyface champion and Bob Backlund beating Billy Graham for the first time was a big deal and he held the champion nearly six seven years and he, he his legacy has been so overlooked and Bob Backlund was I think more popular in Japan because of his style like he worked you know he wrestled like Carl Gotch, he wrestled like Billy Robinson, and Japanese fan really likes the wrestler. Wrestler, does that make sense? That and the the market that was WWF at the time, they were so programmed to. I mean, what it was was monsters versus big baby faces in the main event. It was yeah, always yeah. a bit over the right. top in the heavyweight championship division. Yeah, and then this is like a literally baby face. Bob Backlund will beat all these monster heels. Right, and and the the style that Bob Backlund wrestled was something that you'd probably see out west or somewhere down south in in the Crockett territories in Minnesota. But that style of uh, more wrestling, wrestling, wrestling's wrestling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he kind of fit in certain areas uh, of the territories at the time, but it just. For some reason, a lot of fans it didn't connect with the, yeah. the New York audience. Bruno, yeah, Bruno San Martino was a, like a Italian hero. Pedro Morales mm. was a Puerto Rican hero, you know, you know, hero. And Bob back in the era, he was all American boy, huh? My dad said but, a lot of people called him Howdy Doody. Remember Howdy, Howdy Doody? Doody, Bob Backlund? Yeah, because he's so white, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, like a Midwestern boy. Yeah, yeah, so white was like a real cute butt, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And like like you know came from like an amateur back background you know, and uh, he was a perfect fit. And he was favorite WWF champion in seventies and early eighties. Japanese fans, you know, they still talk highly about Bob Backlund's legacy. Mm. If you remember, Bob Bob Backlund was invited back to UWF, you know, because right. he was like a believable wrestler, you know. He showed but up the, in uh, in Tenru's promotion too. That too, yeah. And also, just imagine both guys at, at their prime time, Bob Backlund against Fujinami in, in their prime wrestling match. Good hmm. matches. Fujinami was quite different before yeah. you know, 1987, and, uh, 1988. Bob Backlund at Babyface. Yeah, and in early 80s in New Japan Ring, you know, dust, uh, the, the Bob Backlund Babyface against heel version of Dusty Rose. Uh, Bob Backlund against heel Stan Hansen. Bob Backlund against younger heel version of Hulk Hogan. And uh, the, the, it's a useless trivia, but the, the, the December 17th, 1979, Inoki appearance, Sakaguchi, Riki Choshu, Fujinami. And that was the night Hulk Hogan, heel Hulk Hogan made his debut against Ted DiBiase. 
beating not the million dollar man Ted DiBiase, but the young baby face Ted DiBiase. And young heel Hulk Hogan was manager Freddie Blassie, of course, that the, made his debut as Hulk Hogan. The name was given by Vince McMahon Sr., Hulk Hogan, incredible Hulk Hogan, big heel, like giant version of Billy Graham that uh, made his debut that night. Very interesting night, huh? At that time, he even talked like Billy Graham. The way he talked, the way he wrestled in the ring, the cape, sunglasses. Sure. He was very reminiscent of Billy Graham. Yeah, like a larger version of Billy Graham. Yeah, updated version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And after that, yeah, it was uh, recently, you know, people were making a lot of comments about Hulk Hogan's Rocky Three appearance a couple years later, that uh, it happened during AWA. No, that the actual movie filming was uh, took place during this era, that the, uh, you know, 1981, 82-ish, uh, 82, by, by 82, he was already in AWA, so... Um, uh, that uh, Rocky had to be filmed uh, some, some, sometimes during 1981 period, I think. Yeah, because uh, Hulk Hogan remember that the conversation was under the giant that uh, don't be, uh, don't forget being a professional wrestler and, 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 and yeah, and just like don't lose it. See, Andre and Hogan was always close, like as, as a friends, and Vince McMahon Sr did not like the idea that the, his wrestler going to movies, you know, but uh, Andre said, go ahead. And this would be you know, a big break for you. Yeah. So that uh, portion was kind of overlooked, but anyhow, that, uh, uh, how Koga was already in that, in the background, you know, it was really f- interesting that the, how Koga makes his debut with new Japan first as a tag, young tag team partner of Stan Hansen, who was already a big, huge superstar with new Japan. In 1980, uh, you know, you have to, you know, think that, that this 19, early 1980 version of Antonio Inoki, just invincible. I mean, nobody beats Antonio Inoki in Japan, right? But Stan Hansen beats Inoki for this NWF title. And uh, they had, they exchanged, you know, that the played catch with this title. That made Stan Hansen really household name in Japan beating primetime Anthony Inoki to become NWF champion. So he was almost replacing Andre the Giant as a top gaijin American talent in New Japan ring. You know, I think around this time too, a lot of the fellows were mentioning right now, Hogan, Andre, Backlund, Inoki. I think there was a match. It's probably floating around on YouTube, but it's with yeah. the, all, all these four were, were, you know, regularly, pretty regularly wrestling each other at around the time too, for New Japan. And some of those historic, yeah, some of these historical matches are found in New Japan World archives. You know, today's New Japan World, that the network service thing. You you know, you search Inoki's seventy matches, the early eighties match. You'll have Inoki against Backland and Andre match, Bob Backland matches, all in there. Not all, every single one of them, but the important matches are in there. Yeah, a lot but of the ones that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Today's fans don't 
go, don't go into this, you know, New Japan World Archive and find, you know, key matches. It's all for, you know, it's all for like middle-aged wrestling, male wrestling fans. Today's yeah. fans don't go back and watch Inoki matches because this is like he's like a grandpa of everybody, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, going back and watching his matches, he's one of those wrestlers that oh, you he, learn so much. And it's not dated. It's not as dated as uh, you'd think. I mean, you can go back and watch Blackland and Inoki, and they're not that yeah, the, they're the, not that outdated. The con- yeah, the count count content of matches and how they build is. The long match, title match, kind of thing. It's the formula is still there that works today. Yeah, they and didn't on, do on the anything hand, too outrageous where it it would look silly in the future. You know what I mean? And also, they were doing, you know, to make people mad. They were doing this Tiger Jeet thing as your right. wild card. You know that he was not even involved in the title match, but he does the run in to destroy the title match to make people mad. And put heat on Tiger Jeet Singh. Oh God, he destroyed a title match. Put big heat on Tiger Jeet Singh instead of putting heat on Inoki or Backland. The formula is clearly there. And also have to point uh, point out the deal that the Giant Baba, on the other hand, All Japan, Giant Baba had a three NWA World Heavyweight Champion reign. Okay, and when Inoki beat Bob Backland for the first time. Uh, to become the very first Japanese wrestler to hold WWF title. I said it was uh, November of 1979. Mm-hmm. That's right. Right? Exactly one month before that, October October 31st of 1979, Baba beats Harley Race in Nagoya to become NWA World Heavyweight cha- Champion. They had to do this. Oh, I'm I'm pretty sure that the, just as soon as Baba found out that the Inoki is going over on Bob Backlund to win the title in Japan, Baba had to bring Harley Race over to Japan uh, one month one month before that, just so he becomes NWA World Champion, and and that's televised. I mean, it's like rivalry between two network stations, two different companies, Old Japan and New Japan, and Baba and Inoki. This. This rivalry is so severe that, uh, so serious that Baba had to beat Harley Race in Japan televised match to become NWA World Champion before, like, make sure one month before Inoki beats Bakran to become WWF Champion. Isn't that interesting? So it was a strategic move as well as a, you know, creative move as well. Yeah. But the difference, difference between Baba and Inoki is that, though, uh, Okay, first time Baba beat Jack Briscoe, Briscoe to become very first Japanese wrestler to become NWA World Champion. <clears throat> he defends the title once, but at the end of the tour, no TV, you know, televised match. He that the Brisk Jack Briscoe beats Baba to get the title back, and he goes home. Right. Mm-hmm. This time, after Baba beat Harley Race for the second time. You know, one month before Inoki Bakran thing, that the Baba becomes NWA World Champion for the second time. But only s- seven days later at the Amagasaki, <laughs> not a big city, right? Hmm. But uh, Amagasaki, uh, November 7th, race beats Baba to get the title back, then goes home. He, they did that following year, 1980, you know, September of 1980, at the Saga, Jan Baba beats. Harley Race, again, for the third time, he becomes world NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Sure enough, 
that five days later at the Otsu of all places, that by race beats Baba again, and he, you know, basically returning a title to high race and race go home happy, you know. So it Baba always returned the title in that ring. Baba beats the champion to become NWA champion, but the the, the Harley Race or Jack Briscoe always beat Baba again at the end of the tour, and uh, like a, the handshake was good that that uh, Baba basically returned his title, and that the Harley Race you know regained the title again, and and he goes back to America like nothing happened. But NWA record it shows that an official record that Giant uh, Baba won NWA World Heavyweight Championship three times. It was in record. Whereas Inoki's, uh, the, Inoki's reign as WWF champion was never acknowledged in America. Therefore, it's not in record. Right. It's in Japanese record or Bill After Magazine record. Yes, Inoki became WWF champion in Japan once and the title was vacant, all these things is record. But WWF, you know, to this day, WWF, record does not have Inoki as champion listed. Is that interesting? So there was Inoki way of handling business and there was Baba way of handling business. And well-read, um, reading-oriented you know, Japanese wrestling fans learn about the world. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's interesting enough that it's like almost like a philosophy. Baba way of handling things and Inoki way of handling things. There are two different philosophy almost. So you learn, therefore you learned about something about the adult world or business world. Yeah. That's like Inoki, you know, if you like the way Inoki handles his things or the way Baba handles his things. And well, in a way, Baba return, you know, losing the first title defense and returning title would kinda kinda expose the business, you know, that the well-read reading oriented wrestling fans will you know always figure out you know right yeah yes baba won the title from harley race but he'll be returning a title at the end of the tour sure enough that's how it happens right whereas you know okay won a wwf title from background and became you know the only and first wwf champion in history great <clears throat> Inoki didn't even lose the title he relinquished the title, and then the title became vacant <clears throat> in very creative storyline and two title matches and uh, one <clears throat> in Japan in the Madison Square Garden thing all taped, and it's like a big, big, huge drama kind of thing almost, and in larger scale too. So um, you just have to figure out you know on your own that uh, you like you know you know you know Kiwell doing a title match or baba is the right one you know like uh, that the honest businessman <laughs> like a losing title at the end of the tour like you should and and uh, that's wrestling business it's like you, it's up to you you know who 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 is the right way to do the business am i making any sense yeah i think um <clears throat> okay I don't know if it comes off as this way to you, but to me, in these situations, Inoki does feel like the underdog yeah. in the situation for most of the 70s into the 80s. Yeah, yeah, because, uh, you know, Inoki couldn't have, you know, NWA World title, you know, championship match in New Japan ring. And 
for 70s into 80s, NWA National Wrestling Alliance until w, you know Vince, Vince McMahon's national expansion. NWA was the closest thing to undisputed undis, undisputed world championship. So Agreed? yeah, in wrestling world, yeah. So so who when someone at All Japan made a choice to do the Harley Race program. Was that Giant Baba who was uh, uh, pitching those strategies or was that coming down from the television station or who, who was really spearheading know. it? Because it seems like it, there's some kind of intent behind it, but it would explain the intent if we could know who was sort of, who made that well, decision. I, I believe it's both Giant Baba and NTV Channel 4 because TV Asahi and Anthony Inoki, that uh, just as soon as they find out that uh, Bob, you know, Inoki will be beating Buckland for the WWF title in Japan, Channel 4, NTV, and Giant Baba All Japan will bring in Hardy Race to beat him. That's a right, you know, that uh, it's, a, it's a good business, right? Hmm. One month, just exactly one month before this, you know, Inoki Buckland title chain taking place, Baba will bring in Hardy Race just to beat him. But at the end of the tour, Race will beat him again, non-televised match to return the title, you know. But uh, all the, uh, you know, reading-oriented wrestling fan in Japan will know all about it, though. Ah, that's how wrestling business works. I mean, kind of lose your fantasy mode, right, <laughs> a little bit. Mm. Yeah. So it's like uh, the long, I mean, like, uh, if you watch, let's put it that way, that the, if you watch wrestling long enough that I think a lot of the wrestling fans will think Baba is better promoter than uh, Superstar Inoki. But vast majority or the mainstream fan don't look at it that way, that uh, Inoki beating Baba after the New York champion and you know that the relinquishing title not be because he wasn't happy with the, uh, that how the title match went, and he had so much pride that he doesn't want to hold the title championship that way, and he relinquished the title. Great, great pride. The storyline worked. Yeah, for general public. So this is always up up to us that who is better promoter or better producer or more creative producer or who comes off more honest businessman. This is like a two different issues already. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. But uh, this, that the partnership between New Japan and WWF, Vince McMahon senior era was so strong that there was a, you know, um, you have all Japan, all Japan has champion carnival spring tournament, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, who's the best man to do this, you know, round robin tournament. There was a series at the tour called Madison Square Garden series for five year period, 1978, 79, 80, 81, 82. Yeah, five-year period between 78 to 82. Madison Square Garden Series for New Japan. Every spring, they brought in people from WWE, like the, the guest appearance of Bob Ackland, of course. You have Andre the Giant. You have Stan Hansen. They rotated like people like you have Tony Atlas, the Dom Rocco, the Rene Goulet, the not so big, but the, you know, all these big star from WWF come in and compete in championship uh, tournament. And of course, Inoki usually wins, but the one year under the giant 
you know, uh, you know, won the won the championship. The final was instead of Inoki, he was under the giant against Killer Khan, some you know, in one year. And there was a when the no, end of November and December comes in Japan, you have tag team tournament season, right? Of mm -hmm. course, all Japan's real world tag team tournament is such a big deal, and uh, New Japan had a had a, this Madison Square Garden tag team league. That the it's a tag team version of Madison Square Garden series that they held this big tour between 1980 between 1980 to 84. So that's another five year period: 80, 81, 82, 83, 84. Yeah, five year period. First year, the tag team of Inoki and Bob Backlund won the won the championship. That's ultimate babyface, right? Yeah. Yeah. Especially for and the second, time. Yeah. The two top champions. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and that's 80. And 81, Andre the Giant and Randy Glade tag team won the, won the tag team tournament. And 82 and 83, two consecutive years, Antonio Inoki and baby now babyface Hulk Hogan uh, won the, you know, the, the tag team championship. Uh, I mean, not not the championship, but the tag team tournament, 82 and 83, uh, two-year period. Uh, how uh, Inoki and how Kogan won the uh, won the tournament, and I, I think uh, 84. Inoki Fujinami tag team probably won. It wasn't so important anymore because now we have this big, huge project of IWGP starts as of 1980. 1980. Yeah. Yeah, that the idea, yeah, that the first IWGP actual tournament won't take place until 1983. But the project started like, a, you know, you plant the idea, you you know, you plant the seed into people's head. International Wrestling Grand Prix will start. And this is to, to determine that the undisputed, the, who is the best wrestler in the world today, uh, that it would be, you know, uh, that the tournament will be held. All the existing championship will be relinquished. Inoki will vacate his NWF title. Yeah. And Sakaguchi will be relinquishing, you know, you know vacating his uh, North American heavyweight title. Taiga Singh will be you know, vacating his all Asian um, championship that uh, you give up all the titles. Stan Hansen will be giving up his 10-gallon hat because <laughs> he's a cowboy, right? Uh, Ab uh, 1981, Abdul the Butcher quits. Well, well, of course, you know, he got signed away, but uh, that, uh, that Ab Ab huge superstar Abdul the Butcher quits all Japan and come into New Japan ring and relinquish his Caribbean heavyweight title. Is there such championship? Anyhow, that he brought in some, you know, good-looking championship belt and he relinquished the title because he wanted to be part of IWGP and he actually Inoki you know that really vacate his NWF title that was that that was a marquee championship right for NWF title was marquee title mark marquee championship belt for what seven year period Inoki defended his title you know then defended you know his title championship against all the top name from all over the world and and whatnot he relinquished the title therefore <clears throat> this IWGP project will start this will be the biggest thing in wrestling 1980s fam all bought, bought it you know 
It will be better than NWF. It will be better than WWF. It will be better than NWA. <clears throat> that was the idea. It was fresh. It was a. It was a new idea. Yeah, yeah. And relinquishing existing title. Oh, it's like wow. It's they a real deal. It. Yeah, real deal. Yeah, yeah. So they, New Japan, held all these tours and shows without any championship for three year period. You know, there was you know. Single match program, Inoki against Stan Hansen again, you know, like some something like Inoki against say Mass Superstar. They did the main event without title, without championship. Well, they did interesting, you know, because I now that I brought up that the Mass Superstar, another you know wrestler whose legacy has been overlooked. He was big superstar in Japan mm-hmm. in that time, you know, late seventies into early eighties. Mass Superstar. Maybe he's more famous as Demolition in America, right? Probably as Probably. acts. Acts of demolition. Acts, yeah, yeah, demolition. But the mass superstar was a top superstar in Japan. When they didn't have championship belt to defend, there was like a single match, Inoki against mass superstar. Mass superstar's mask was at stake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Inoki beat mass superstar in the middle of the ring and unmasked him. That was dramatic. Yeah. Then he came back as a Billy Crusher without mask for one tour, and didn't go over that well. So he went back to Mass Superstar shortly after that. But uh, so that, that thing happens, and very first inaugural uh, IWGP tournament happened finally in 1983. Like 40 shows, 40 days in a row, all over Japan, all big shows. <clears throat> Inoki, Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan, the Big John Stud. The, Arovant from Europe, that uh, Enrique Vera from Mexico, the, um, that uh, Akira Maeda coming back from Europe as a Europe, Europe heavyweight champion. So he's in the main event, you know, cluster. Dick Murdoch, uh, probably Adrian Adonis, that uh, Russia Kimura, all these top talent had this round robin tournament. The final was, instead of having Under the Giant, that was Antonio Inoki against soon-to-be larger-than-life superstar Hulk Hogan. That was the time. See, Stan Hansen already left for All Japan at the end of 1981. <clears throat> he was a full-time in, in All Japan in 1982. That's when Hulk Hogan signed exclusive deal with All Japan and turned baby face. That was very smart, you know? It was a smart on New Japan's part, but the Hulk Hogan studied Inoki, Bob Backland, and Stan Hansen under the giant in Japan. You know what I'm saying? You, if you go back, and now that we can watch it so easily, you can go back and you can see where he got the moves, where he got his rhythm. A lot of yeah, where... and then, yeah. You should you should go back and see um, how babyface Hulk Hogan against Abdullah the Butcher in New Japan, and mm-hmm. you know. Doing hulking up, right? The first and time he come back with yeah. a, like a three punch. Of course, Inoki's punch was comeback. It was exactly like Inoki, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was Inoki was that the Inoki and Hulk Hogan, twenty eight year old Hulk Hogan became tag team like a real big huge babyface. Hulk Hogan wearing kimono and smart enough, he had this black trunks and silver boots, but he had Ichiban kanji writing on his trunks. Like now he's local babyface, right? Mm-hmm. Long in blonde Japan. hair, big sunglasses. Yep. And he worked like, like 
um, when when American wrestling fan um, hear Hulk Hogan's name, it's like always you know you associate with yellow trunks and yellow boots and big boots and leg drop sure. one to three, right? It's mm. not like that. He when he was working New Japan pretty much full time, he wrestled like like Japanese style, really did. So these people have to go back and watch you know New Japan archive to find out that the, Hulk Hogan really did wrestle. Really, and he was pretty good. He was really good, actually. So yeah. I have to defend him. Yeah. Yeah, he had. I mean, if you go back and watch the matches that he was in around this time, they're not going to put uh, somebody who can't wrestle in the ring with Inoki and Andre the Giant and Stan Hansen and Bob Backlund. You know, he. Yeah. yeah. I'm not it's saying he's honest, like you matter. know. I'm not saying he's Billy Robinson or Carl God, but I'm saying no. Uh, no. He was absolutely. Um, uh, he, more than what's the, what can I say? I mean, Above I mean American yeah, yeah. for for oh, oh, where for his height and size and for Above. time. And also, he was Hulk Hogan initially was introduced to Japanese ring back in 1980 as a pro- protege of Hiro Matsuda. This guy was trained by Japanese wrestler Hiro Matsuda, right? Mm-hmm. Hiro mm-hmm. Matsuda is a coach of Hogan, Paul Orndorff, Ron Simmons, Lex Luger. He only trained big guys. You know, talented big guys, and uh, yeah, uh, that uh, he just Hao Kong was always in kind of a right place at the right time kind of guy, of course. But uh, Hao Kong was so smart that just as soon as Stan Hansen left for you know old Japan, he took that spot right away and signed a deal with New Japan, like like your contract with New Japan, and turned babyface, and they're on. It's just, the real Hulk Hogan legacy starts with New Japan, not with WWF. That's what I'm talking about, I think. Hulkamania started in Tokyo, not New York. Right. And at the same time, he was, you know, dividing his time with AWA Minneapolis and in Tokyo. In in Minneapolis, he had he already had started a program, the Challenger. Hulk Hogan babyface against champion Nick Bachwinkle. They had great matches there, 82-83. Yeah. So they were doing that. He actually won the title beating Nick Bachwinkle in, in the ring. And people leave the building thinking that the Hulk Hogan beat Bachwinkle for the title. He leaves, you know, then leave the building. And next next week on TV, somewhat, somehow, the decision was reversed. And then the title was back to Bachwinkle. They did that like a two, twice, three times. I think that's when people start losing faith in AWA, though, you know, locally. That was that will they take a completely different route. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And how Colgan handled Vern Gagne business real well that uh, he drew a lot of people and and, and AWA was booming in Midwest, not just Midwest, but not just Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, North Dakota, South Dakota, or uh, Winnipeg, but they expanded to Salt Lake City, uh, Denver, and all the way to San Francisco. Remember? AWA territory gotten so much bigger around that time period and the main event was Nick Bakun against babyface Hulk Hogan so Hulk Hogan was doing Hulkamania thing years before Hulkamania which was very interesting I mean those portions of history is so overlooked yeah 
Well, but the- I mean, it's it's good that it's available now. You can watch it pretty much whenever if you have New Japan World. I'm sure you can pull things up. Or on- WWE Network. WWE, yeah, yeah. WWE Network has AWA Archive now too. So if, if you are interested in the real history of it, because people only know WWE version of wrestling history, right? That was kind of like uh, the second act, part two of his career, but part one of Hulkamania is are in those years. I mean, he was really popular. He was really popular. Yeah. He was wrestling probably his best in-ring matches around that time period. His whole yes. career. I mean, yeah. I mean, you you could see where he got his uh, not his 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 um, routine because you know by yeah. the end. I'm not saying that in a negative way either. It's just what he. That's what he. All he had to do was do his routine, and, also, and people liked it. AWA tele- a- a- television. Hulk Hogan was already saying that the Hulkamania is running wild in uh, as hmm. early as 1982. Hulkamania right. is running wild. If there wasn't the word Hulkamania, there was no WrestleMania. See, the word Hulkamania was there before the word WrestleMania was invented. Yeah. And uh, the partnership between New Japan and, and WWF lasted all the way to 1985. That the national expansion started in '84, but the actual business partnership between WWF and New Japan lasted all the way till like uh, summer of 1985. And that uh, that time period, Hulk Hogan's last appearance with New Japan for the next seven years was June of 1985. He came back as WWF champion and defended his title against Fujinami, but he wasn't wearing yellow boots and yellow trunks when he came back to Japan. Even after WrestleMania once, see WrestleMania. One was what, uh, March 31st of 1985. So three months after that, he had this black trunks with Ichiban on it. He didn't wear yellow wrestling boots. Instead, he had a silver boots. So he had this Japanese attire. Then he came back to Japan and defended his title against Fujinami as WWF champion. But shortly after that, all the WWF talent was pulled from New Japan. It says Vince McMahon says, no more Japan tour. And all the WF talent stopped coming over. Everybody was gone, but under the giant. And that's when old Japan, I mean, New Japan had to sign deals with people like uh, Fred Von Erich, World Class, and Kevin Von Erich and Kerry Von Erich started coming to New Japan. And, and also Sakaguchi went over to Bill Watts and uh, started bringing people like Steve Williams and Rick, young Rick Steiner and whatnot. And uh, they had to sign deals with other companies at the time. So people like Konga the Barbarian, the, the young uh, Kokina, uh, as uh, Kokina Yokozuna. before he, Yeah, years before he was Yokozuna. And yeah, all these younger, all like uh, the Punisher, Dice Morgan, uh, later on he becomes Undertaker. But all those younger, uh, big body, heavyweight talent had to be recruited to Japan because that the uh, partnership between new japan and all you know new japan and wwf was pretty much finished at that point yeah so the they went separate way unbelievable thing about that in retrospect is that during that year 1985 hulk hogan was yeah. champion he was working in both in wwe wwf and yeah new japan you know yeah all the year. way to like some of 85 some of I mean, 85 even after WrestleMania 1. 
would that be like if Roman Reigns was IWGP champion for half the year and would spend half the time in <laughs> Japan and then comes back and does a SmackDown? Happen. Yeah, not, I mean, yeah. it sounds pretty insane, but that's, I mean, that's Hulkamania. That's, I guess, where it was probably at. And personally, I'm pretty sure the Hulk Hogan took Japan deal seriously. You know, he was superstar in Japan years before he was like a larger than life superstar phenomena in America. After this WrestleMania one period on that, the WWE became the world. That's the whole wrestling world. And Japan is like a isolated world, you know, and pretty soon, interestingly enough that the, we'll cover that in Jan Barber episode uh, the legacy but uh, Jan Barber cut the tie with you know American company too pretty soon because NWA was no longer a big family territory thing that uh, uh, all these existing company in America is closing their doors right and left right and it pretty soon became Vince McMahon's WWF against Jim Crockett Jr.'s NWA Crockett promotion. Then pretty soon NWA Crockett promotion becomes WCW. Then you have late 80s into 90s, big two major league companies period in America. And Japan, all Japan, Baba's all Japan, Inoki's New Japan, all existed separately. Yeah. So that the landscape, you know, really changed around that time period, 80s, mid 80s, late 80s into 90s, completely changed. Yeah, I think right in the middle, 85 is is where what you're talking about with Hogan, where and the relationship between WWF and New Japan ended. Yeah, yeah, I um I was already back in Japan and. And I visited Hogan in, at the KO Plus Hotel, and he was willing to have Japan tour, but uh, that the business deals became different. That uh, he had so much, you know, schedules and other projects, and Vince McMahon and 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 Hulk Hogan was an it thing, you know, for next what six seven year period. That uh, it was the prime time WWE, you know, era. Uh, you know, and then Hulk Hogan was the top talent. WrestleMania one, WrestleMania two, and the SummerSlam and that the, the SummerSlam being created, that the Survivor Series being created, that the Royal Rumble became created, that the uh, closed circuit is no longer that the business model has changed into pay per view, and that becomes late '80s thing, and it just American wrestling and Japanese wrestling became two different things. I mean, mm -hmm. two different industry almost. Yeah, and it's funny because Hogan became definitely the face of of that generation of pro wrestling then and inoki stayed a part of the face of japanese pro wrestling until a little bit later yeah a little bit later but the aging inoki was uh was not popular you know at the end of 80s yeah because fujinami miki choshu akira maeda all became main event within new japan and wanted to have a single match program right and uh, that's the only way but instead inoki choose masa saito to be his opponent all the way to like 1987 see um iwgp tournament in spring uh like i said how kogan won the inaugural you know tournament winner in 83 but 83 84 85 86 87 that the tournament ex existed for another five-year period between 83 and 87 
And at the at the end of 1987 tournament, the final was Inoki against Mas Masa Saito, and Inoki, of course, naturally won. And, and IWGP became championship belt instead of tournament. Now you have what the 33, 35 year history of IWGP tournament, all the way to Kazuchika Okada, but the inaugural that the that the initial heavyweight champion, uh, the championship, the IWGP became championship belt was. Uh, spring of 1987, Inoki was the first champion. That lineage, all the way to Kazuchika Okada for 35-year history. Now, now there you have it. You know that uh, now, now you know the rest of the history, you know, rest of the story kind of thing. It's ongoing story too. Yeah, yeah, but the IWGP uh, heavyweight title has that kind of rich, rich history. And also the beginning, there was a big project that the, all the Japanese fans in early 80s really believed it was going to be the biggest thing in wrestling. The IWGP. Uh... Yeah. And people thought Inoki, yeah, in the first tournament, Inoki was going to, you know, people thought that, you know, he was going to beat Hulk Hogan uh, to become the first winner of IWGP. Therefore, he will be the biggest thing in wrestling. Instead, Hulk Hogan beat Inoki and... And there was like a, another Inoki's very creative booking, don't you think? The uh, with the DQ finish. No, Inoki was knocked or out of apron. That's right. Yeah, and then Inoki bomber. went. Inoki went straight to the hospital, and it was in evening news. And still up to debate if if it was Inoki just decided to lay there, or was there an accident that he really hit the head the head hard. In the ring and knocked unconscious and he is just up to debate even to this day that the, he did not tell even sakaguchi about it because everybody panicked in the ring and he wasn't acting everybody panicked and ambulance was called and inoki was put in ambulance went straight to the hospital it was in evening news but was it still doesn't doesn't say it was really really like the big accident or anything like that. You know, a lot of people still think Inoki decided to lay there and without telling anybody about it. I mean, that's like a, one of the biggest mystery in modern wrestling history. That night, <clears throat> June of 1983, that the finish, the way Hulk Hogan panicked in the ring, it signifies that it, I don't think he was told. But it's up to debate. I mean, I don't have the answer either. Is that interesting? Very dramatic. It's pretty controversial too. I mean, it's one of Inoki's few on-the-record losses. Technically, mm -hmm. he he's only but lost what to if, a handful. But of you people. have to think what if, though, because what if what if Inoki won the initial inaugural IWGP tournament in summer in June of 1983 to become the first tournament winner to be the IW, IWGP tournament winner, that will be like a, the end of the story, right? But he made it very much of like the, the episode one by losing that match. Mm -hmm. IWGP became even bigger, yeah, by losing. So, uh, well, I vote, my vote is that uh, Inoki all by himself decided to lay there. Hmm. I don't know, really. Because it's still up to debate to this day. Was Inoki really knocked unconscious? An ambulance was called. It was in evening news. 
and also the newspaper, regular newspaper, next morning that the Mr. Inoki uh, had an accident in the ring and he was knocked unconscious and went straight to the hospital. That took place too. Yeah, as a record. Yeah. Do you think that if Inoki had won or the went over on IWCP turn, either Hulk that, Hogan. yeah, or in any other, it doesn't have to be in that format. If there's any situation, if you step back and think about it in a more from this time period, if Inoki let Hogan get over on him or not, if Inoki just controlled the program, do you think Hulkamania would have happened? Do you think the trajectory would be, would have been different? Um. Well, sooner or later, Inoki against Hulk Hogan. See, 82, 83, up, you know, up until you know, then that Inoki and Hulk Hogan was tag team partners, winning that, uh, that the tag team tournament two years in a row, right? So there was and, history. There was some history between them. Yeah. And as of the beginning of this IWGP inaugural tournament, Hulk Hogan became single competitor and won all the, you know, the, the tournament matches and became the finalist of the tournament and then naturally Inoki uh, was another you know finalist and Inoki against Hulk Hogan at uh, the fi- you know, tournament final big big match and if Inoki won it wasn't going to be that big of a news right by he won I, if Inoki <clears throat> won uh, yeah I mean it's just another for, tournament yeah and um, I think maybe fans would have lost faith because listen, there was another really hot company yeah, right across the street. Yeah, because three years in making an IWGP meth and all the legend and a storyline. All young fans believed in Japan at the time that IWGP was going to be the biggest thing in wrestling. And Inoki won and ended. That was the end of it, probably. And by having Hulk Hogan go over and Hulk Hogan became larger than life in Japan for one thing. And, and he, he wore that you know, initial very original IWGP championship belt in that ring and the photo exists. And uh, yeah, how Kogan to this day think I was the original IWGP champion. That's true, right? And also following year 1984, the second IWGP tournament, again, Anthony Inoki against how Kogan was the final. He already won the WWF championship then though. You know what I'm saying? Remember? January of 1984, Hulk Hogan beat Iron Sheik to become WWF, WWF champion, and Hulkamania and the, the national expansion era already began. But Hulk Hogan was still taking his Japan dates. He was still traveling back and forth, back and forth. When when he was in America, he does this yellow trunks, Hulk Hogan, Hulkamaniac. When he comes back to Japan in 1984, he still wears black trunks with Ichiban on it and part of New Japan. So he almost lived double life for like a, another two-year period. That was kind of normal for a lot of superstars that were traveling back and forth, right? They they would come up of... until 1984. Yes, yeah. yeah. Like Adrian, I asked Adrian Adonis, you know, he told me that the, that the, his contract says Japan deal is separate. Hmm. Yeah. But at, uh, after 1985, the real WrestleMania era began, and Vince McMahon pr- pretty much stopped everybody from coming into Japan. So that was interesting. Yeah. 
but uh, uh, for the record, that 1984 second annual IWGP tournament final was again Antonio Inoki against Hulk Hogan. This time, Rick, you know, now superstar Ricky Choshu, along with Masa Saito, ran in and destroyed the match and had a double count finish, and people got so mad, and they had to restart the match, and had another double count out, and people got so mad, start throwing things in the ring, and Hulk Hogan, uh, that uh, Ricky Choshu still did the running and gave big clothesline to, to Hulk Hogan, and Inoki, you know, quickly went back to the ring and beat Hulk Hogan with the count out finish, and therefore Inoki won the tournament, people got so mad, at the Sumo Palace, they start the fire. Another big historical riot. It was a uh, people crazy. were so enthusiastic back then, huh? Yeah, they were fired up. <clears throat> you know, Japanese fans like you know they yeah because they don't boo you because you're heel. P Japanese fans will boo you because they don't like what they're seeing. It's the two different things. Right. Yeah. But uh, interestingly enough, that the Hulkamaniac started in America already in 1984, but Hulk Hogan was still making, you know, that the pretty frequent trip to Japan and working two different places at the same time. Yeah. It was a very interesting era to study. It was uh, kind of the last of that sort of era for, I guess you could say, free agent wrestlers because he wasn't locked up until 1985 or after that with the WWF. right 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 and won't come back until 1990 when they had the wwf and new japan and all japan three company combined and had the tokyo dome wrestling summit remember mm -hmm. yeah okay we'll talk about that at the final episode of antonio inoki episode five because uh yeah uh I think we did. We covered a lot of ground today, and, and, and I think he had a lot to do with today's history too. Uh, I think it's another dense one, but we've made it. We're almost there. <laughs> so next time we'll, we'll pick up around <laughs> yeah, we're almost there. Yeah. 1985. Oh, but we still have to start the Giant Baba Legacy on until Inoki retires. Inoki retires in April of 1998. And that was the last time he had the you know real wrestling match in that ring with folk gear, and also December of 1998, Giant Baba has his last match in his life. So both Giant Baba and Antonio Inoki had his first match in September September of 1960, and both Inoki and Baba. Baba had their final match in 1998. I don't think it's an accident. It's kind of like uh, their dest destiny. Yeah. All right, we'll cover that. Huh? We're going to cover that on the final Next episode. Time. Yeah, hope, yeah, we'll skip some some years and eras and episode back and forth, back and forth. I've, I'm hoping that the people will follow by listening to what we're talking today. I hope we can uh, fit the rest of his career into an episode too, because from uh, late 80s, well, we're going to have to talk about a lot of non-wrestling situations Inoki was in too. He was very... Uh, <laughs> I, there's nobody like him. There's no. He, he, oh, the politician, being politician, being a politician, for the yeah, businessman. Yeah, and then, and then he, yeah, and then he saved the hostage from Iran and all that things. Yes, we'll have that. And also had a, uh, of all places, he had a wrestling extravaganza at North Korea with what the 130 people in that building, uh, Inoki against Ric Flair thing. Yeah, we'll cover that. Okay, we got another 
<laughs> action-packed episode. So get ready for it next time. Yeah, but time. the real, but the, when he had the north korea 130 you know 180,000 people think you know he wasn't exactly active wrestler he was a politician he came back a couple times a year in his working shape just to have one or two matches a year that was like that for the in the last five years of his career mm -hmm. yeah but the acting i mean like a full-time wrestler his the, the inoki's career practically ended around 1988 yeah. uh, and there was a famous match with fujinami too around that time yeah, uh, August 8th, 1988. Uh, IWGP heavyweight champion Fujinami Inoki was a challenger, and they did a 60-minute classic. We'll have that yeah. next time. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's wrap it up. So where can people ask you questions on, uh, online? On yeah, on Twitter, Fumihiko Dayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O, Fumihiko Dayo on Twitter, or just Fumi Saito on Facebook. I'm also on um, Instagram, Fumi Saito 2001, but I'm not in there that much. I prefer Facebook. I'm at Justin M. Nipper on Twitter. Uh, get at yeah. us through Twitter. Get at us yeah. through the Patreon. Get at us... Uh, yeah, we our... take. Yeah, let's take questions. Yeah. Yeah. If you have any questions on Inoki Baba or anything, shoot them at us. We'll take them. <laughs> so, okay, let's get ready for the final part next week. So, for Fumi, so long from Tokyo. Break that down. Break that down. Break that down. Break that down. Break that down.